Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. I'm always glad that you have joined us. The Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History has a new leader, Neil Barclay, who comes to us by way of New Orleans and Pittsburgh, where he led similar kinds of institutions. Here, he takes the helm of a troubled but celebrated museum that's not just searching for firm footing in its own future, it's also trying to find its way among several cultural institutions that are learning to work better together. So let's start with uh, your background. You you have had an interesting array of jobs in the cultural space uh, that I feel like really prepare you for this work at the right. Indeed, yeah. I, uh, I trained actually as a, a classical actor and singer. Um, I then um, realized that I was not going to become famous and uh, went to law school. <laughs> right, you got to have a backup plan. I got my law degree <laughs> and practiced for many years and then decided that law probably wasn't my calling uh, and was fortunate enough to get a position at the University of Texas in Austin as essentially the COO of a seven-venue performing arts center. Um, from there, I went uh, to Pittsburgh to become the founding president of the August Wilson Center, um, which is a center that uh, uh, my team and I built from the ground up, <laughs> you know, a $42 million uh, facility, uh, performance and visual arts center actually in Pittsburgh, right in their cultural district. Um, and then from there, went to the uh, Contemporary Arts Center in New Orleans. Uh, where I was there for about six years and find myself now here in Detroit. Yeah. So I, I am particularly interested in your experience in Pittsburgh, which I imagine uh, which I imagine brought you into the space where uh, the, the, the crossover between an institution, a cultural institution, and the community mm-hmm. is really important. Can you talk about how that played out there? Sure. It's a critically important part of the Pittsburgh project because uh, that center came about uh, uh, at the, you know, really urging of uh, activists within the community who felt that Pittsburgh had a world-class uh, cultural district, it still does, but there was nothing that focused on the African-American experience um, in any of those institutions. That's not to say that they wouldn't do the, the one-off performance or exhibition, but nothing dedicated to that. And, uh, you know, it was a group of about six folks, really, that just shepherded that from beginning to end. Uh, we're still on the board when I left, you know, eight years later or seven <laughs> years later. Um, but yeah, it's, it, you know, when you build a center like this, you know, there's always a question of who is it for, you know, and where should it be? You know, Pittsburgh has a historic hill district, which is decimated by and large to build the sports teams, uh, <laughs> stadiums in Pittsburgh. Uh, so there's a little bit of a what can I say? <laughs> Unhappiness about that, um, and so and was, that was a that was an African American neighborhood, correct? correct exactly, yeah. the Hill District uh, is where August Wilson's plays are mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. mostly set. Um, but then um, you know, so should it be in the Hill District? Should it be downtown? We ultimately decided that it should be a part of the cultural district. Um, it's a beautiful facility uh, designed by an African American woman, uh, which is also a first at the time. If you can imagine all the African American museums that have been built in the country. <laughs> of them are designed by women um so it was a it was a great experience and but one that yeah the community was actively involved every (laughs) single step of the way yeah Yeah. and and so you come here to detroit to lead the right uh at a time when that issue is is also sort of facing us in some ways i mean there's been some real 
displeasure, I, I should say, about um, about things that have gone on at the right, the way the museum is managed. Mm. Uh, can you give us a thumbnail sketch of what you've seen so far and uh, how you plan to address it? Sure. The you know the right, uh, notwithstanding the local critique of it, is emblematic of organizations of color, not just African American organizations around the country. Uh, they have been historically under resourced. Uh, have not been given the kinds of funds uh, that their sister institutions within the same community are given. Um, and yet they're expected to compete uh, with those institutions for not only just for dollars, but for patronage, et cetera, in a climate where these institutions also are trading largely on African-American culture to drive their own business models, right? So you're not only in competition with a larger institution, but one who also feels it's part of their mission to address the African-American, in this case, experience, right? So it's emblematic of that, uh, comes into being being at a time where uh, many of us felt that we needed these institutions, and I think we still do, and yet this notion of resource has been, um, you know, has has really played out uh, in all of our institutions to create a very challenging situation. They're also very complex museums, you know, they... uh, not only is the physical plant and what is needed to put on ex- exhibitions and performances complex, it's not everybody that can run them. So as you look for talent within our own community, there's also challenges there, right? With people who really have the experience of wherewithal to really address the numerous issues. And, you know, it's everything from, you know, maintenance of the roof, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to what kinds of exhibits are you going to put on, you know, that is, uh, it's, a, it's a very complex uh you know, kind of business, if you will. And so I think those two things uh, are are present at the right. That having been said, I think, you know, Detroit and the right is at a moment where with the correct, you know, leadership and, you know, guidance, uh, both from our community as well as our trustees and, and, you know, the staff that I hope to nurture and and, uh, assemble, uh, really is positioned to become the best uh, institution of its kind in the country. That's partially because the physical plant itself. I was going to say, we built that that, the right way, didn't we? (laughs) It's something that, you know, my colleagues would are, frankly. They're not just wood. They they envy quite a bit, right? And so I think uh, when, I should say, we get all of these things aligned, that will be positioned to really do some outstanding work and really to make Detroit proud of the asset that they developed 50 years ago. Prouder, I should say. Yeah. I'm talking with Neil Barclay. He is the new CEO of the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History here in the city of Detroit. Uh, when you talk about the right being under-resourced, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think anybody could, could argue with that. The, the, the question, though, is where should the resources come from mm. to, to support the museum mm-hmm. better? Yeah, I mean, you know, the best uh, institutions of our kind have a variety of resources. I think the more diverse, frankly, your uh, resources or where you're getting your funding from, the better. Um, So I think the right is fortunate in that it does have some city support. Uh, Knock on wood, we would love for it to be more, right? (laughs) Um, But you also have a number of foundations who have been good 
strongly supporters. Um, and actually, you have a number of individuals who are poised to even become stronger supporters of the institution. So you have the right mix. The question is, um, what is it exactly that they're investing in, in terms of the mission, the kind of programming, the kind of work that we want to do, right? So I think that'll be really our goal in the next uh, months and years, really, to make that value proposition to the folks that are here. The resources are here, which is unusual, right? There's a lot of communities that would don't have one of those pieces. They don't get government support. They don't have deep pocket donors. They don't have, um, you know, perhaps a staff that they need, whatever. But actually, Detroit has all of those things, right? So it's a question of, you so know. So we should be doing better. Yeah. it's a, No, it's just a question of how do we assemble all that in a way that allows us to, to do more and more with mm. the assets we have. Yeah. Um, when we talk about exhibits at at, at the right uh, these days, at least uh, a lot of people want to talk to me about the upcoming uh, Thomas Jefferson exhibit. Sure. There, uh, sure. tell us about that exhibit and and try to address some of the controversy that that people have injected into the conversation about that. Yeah, I, I suppose the first controversy is that it's not about Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not right. actually about Thomas uh, Jefferson. It's a, <laughs> the highlighting of Jefferson as the kind of point and, and impetus for the exhibition is somewhat misplaced. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, having it in the title, it would be natural for people to assume that that has some kind of seminal <laughs> role. And it is about Monticello, which was his home, right? So um, th- those uh, critiques are not misplaced. But I think when you see the exhibit, what hopefully the patron comes to understand is that the exhibit is actually about the five enslaved families that lived at Monticello and an attempt to really paint a complete portrait of who those people were and how in the in the shadow, if you will, of Jefferson's philosophy around, you know, African-American people as, essentially as chattel, how absurd that was, given that, you know, you have world class chefs and metal medalists and and woodworkers, et cetera, working on that place mm-hmm. and created these beautiful works of art, things that would, you know, command thousands and thousands of dollars today <laughs> to buy were the people who lived there, right? Um, but also there's this uh, there's this story within the exhibit, certainly about Sally Hemings, who in the you know, in the time of the Me Too movement is really a, uh, a a vivid, you know, sort of example of how women throughout history, you know, have had to make some kind of pretty um, incredible sacrifices mm-hmm. to make sure that their family and their descendants continued and lived, right? Um, this is a 16-year-old, which regard, notwithstanding the critique about it, Jefferson being pedophile and, and, you know, that kind of thing. Most women at that time did marry between 14 and 16 years old. So it was a different period for sure, but still a young woman. Um, But what she did to ensure the legacy of her family, and then you see also in the exhibit, you know, what has happened to that family, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years later, where they begin to reconcile the fact that whether white or black, they're part of the same bloodline now, right? And what does that mean for people who consider themselves, you know, white people or mm-hmm. just African-Americans, when in fact their their bloodline is quite mixed, you know, at this time. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so I have not seen the exhibit, obviously, because uh-huh. it's not here yet, but I've read a fair amount about it. One of the things I guess I'm excited to see in it is this depiction, this rich depiction of what it was 
like to be a slave. And mm. by that, I don't mean the hardship, which I think mm. we, we see lots of yeah. depictions of that and, and the brutality mm. and the inhumanity of it, but the, the actual lives that these slaves lived, which mm. were as rich as any other life, despite all of the the oppression and, and things like that. I mean, they had to live every day and they, they were able to achieve things uh, they were able to uh, to experience things that I think get lost sometimes in the narratives about that. I think that's exactly right, and that was certainly one of the things that we attempted to to really pull out in this exhibition is, you know, how it was that they survived the situation that they were in, and this notion of them becoming, you know, highly skilled craftsmen or cooks or other kinds of people was. Um, I don't think this is a romantic view either, which is a critique sure. that we sometimes hear. It's actually what happened, and it is how we survived, right? And that how is a question and a part of the story that is not always, um, you know, unpacked, if you will. You know, we know of, as you say, all the atrocities, et cetera. So how exactly did you you know, survive that. And part of it was doubling down on who they were as individual people, which again, in the context of a plantation is uh, quite a statement in and of itself, right? Because they weren't considered to be people, right? And so the fact that they doubled down on who they were, their God-given skills, their abilities, um, and that is how they in fact survived is a, is a story that's worth telling, I think. Uh, my guest is Neil Barclay. He is the new CEO of the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Uh, I, I want to ask you about the museum as it relates to its neighbors. I, I think one of the cool things that we have going for ourselves here in Detroit is that we have kind of a museum campus. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got a cultural center that, that offers all kinds of different experiences for people. Uh, there's been a long and kind of tense sometimes negotiation among those institutions about how they work together, how they uh, support each other and make sure that uh, that the experience for Detroiters and visitors is what it should be. I wonder what you make of that relationship as a newcomer to it and, and as somebody uh, who worked in other cities where clearly uh, the institutions had relationships with, with one another. Sure. Uh, that tension between organizations is a function of the scarcity of resources, by and large, and people feeling that they have to protect what you know resources they may have or assets that they may have within a community, be they human or you know their context to their connections to political power or whatever, right? But what I've been uh, really happy to see here in Detroit is this: uh, the idea that they they could work together. And the, the fact that there's a conversation about how it is that they're interconnected, because the best, um, you know, cultural uh, economies, if you will, in the world, take a Mexico City or someplace like that, all those organizations have decided what their specific niche is within that cultural, uh, you know, that that cultural climate mm -hmm. and have really taken that to add and, and highlighted that in order to add to, you know, um, a 
richer whole. You know, it's a difference in my mind to use a New Orleans analogy between being a melting pot and being a gumbo, right? (laughs) (laughs) In a gumbo, each of those ingredients are still critically important. (laughs) When you leave one out, somebody misses the sauce, whatever. You know, the the okra is not in the gumbo, okay? (laughs) So it's just not working for me as a gumbo, right? So all of the parts are really critically important. And I love the fact that we're, we're having those conversations, et cetera. You know, in terms of the rights positioning in that, though, I think it's even more important because our work is most central to the lives and cultures of the majority population of Detroit, right? And so I can't be understated, I don't think it can be understated how important it is for the right and its mission around African-American culture to be a central part of any development that happens within the cultural campus, right? It's it's natural, it's the um, natural, I, I think, way for us to think about that, um, that area and how it all comes together, you know, so. Uh, I've been pretty pleased with my colleagues, you know, and meeting them. Um, they're good people, you know, and they're smart. And I think that they are trying to do something extraordinary and something, frankly, that has not worked well in many other cities that I've been in. Uh, you mentioned earlier the 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 strain that is caused by. I guess you'd maybe call it mission creep, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the idea that these other museums are also under pressure from visitors from their boards to reflect more of the African-American experience. Mm-hmm. But of course, that is the turf, <laughs> uh, the rightful turf of, of the right. How do, you, how do you negotiate that? Well, I think we negotiate it because we're the only institution really that speaks about uh, the experience in a first voice, right? In terms of being an institution where the experience we're talking about is actually the one we lived, right? So I think that our role is to really tell a more complete story, if you will, of African-American culture. When housed in a historical context or art context, you typically get part of a story, and I think in, in a way Monticello is an example of this, right? But you don't get the nuance that we as people of color and African Americans in this case really understand and, and, and feel viscerally about the material being presented. So what our role is really to kind of complete the story, right? And to tell stories that have a certain kind of complexity that people understand. There are numerous ways to look at this, but in particular, um, the African American community would see this material in this way, right? And it's so so if you go back to Monticello, it's why, you know, it's important that it's not about Jefferson for us. Mm-hmm. It might have been at the Historical Society, for example, which in D.C., the, the National, I forget the exact title of that museum, but the Historical Museum was one of the first places was it was where presented. Where it was exhibited, right? yeah. Yeah, and so in that context, none of this comes up, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's only when it bring you bring it into the context of an institution whose mission it is to deal with the African-American culture where you get this nuanced, really, and, and com- more complex view of the material. Yeah. Okay, Neil Barclay. New CEO of the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Really great to have you here in town and here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Up next, we're going to hear from an editor with National Geographic magazine, which devoted its entire new edition to the way we design cities. Also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen 
when you're ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Thank you.